There are a lot of people in this world whose lives always seem to be in turmoil. Maybe you've noticed this. People go from one problem to another on almost a daily basis. They go from one crisis to another. They don't ever seem to be really happy. They don't ever seem to have any real peace. Every time you talk to them, they're going through some new problem or some new crisis. And all the while, you stand back and observe that they do almost nothing to help themselves. They never seem to be taking any steps to make things better. In fact, you notice that they keep making a lot of the same poor choices over and over and over again. And when you encounter a person like this, there is a certain comment that you're likely to make after a while. After you've listened to them and you've heard all their complaints and all their whining and and all their sob stories a dozen times, at some point you're likely to say this, boy, he really needs to get his act together. Or she really needs to get her act together. Well, I'm launching a brand new sermon series today called Getting Your Act Together. And it's exactly for the kind of person I've just described. Over the next several weeks, I'm going to take you through a step-by-step plan that is absolutely guaranteed to help any sincerely motivated person get his or her act together. And yes, I did say this sermon series is absolutely guaranteed. If you live in a constant state of upheaval, If your life just seems like a great big tangled ball that you're constantly trying to unravel, if you sit around sometimes and wonder, why does life have to be so hard? And if deep down in your heart you know that you're your own worst enemy, then this series is especially for you. If you follow this step-by-step plan I'm going to give you, uh, I guarantee it will help you get your act together. And I don't make this guarantee because uh, I know so much or because I'm so smart. I make this guarantee because all of the steps I'm going to give you are firmly rooted and grounded in the Word of God. These are not going to be my ideas. They're going to be God's ideas. And so I ask you to sign up for this journey. Let's do it together over the next month. Every Sunday, I want you to be here. Now, you might say... Uh, But Mark, my life is not a mess. You might say, Mark, I'm not the kind of person you just described. And if you're not, hallelujah, praise the Lord. That's good. That's a real good thing. You've got a lot to be thankful for if your life is not messed up today. However, even if your life is not messed up, I'm guessing you know someone, maybe a co-worker or a family member or friend whose life is a mess. And hopefully some of the things we'll talk about over the next few weeks will help you help your friend. So all through the month of August, we're going to work together to try to understand what God has to say to people whose lives are a mess. So let's begin. There is one thing we need to understand at the very beginning of this series, and that is that trouble is inevitable in life. John chapter 16 and verse 33, Jesus said, Here on earth you will have many trials and sorrows. Not you might have, not you could have. No, he says you will have. Friends, the very 
best people go through dark periods in their lives. The very, very best people you know sometimes get pretty messed up. You can read through the scriptures and you'll see it very clearly. Even the greatest heroes of the Bible struggled mightily at times. And so understand that the goal of this series is not to try to help you lead a trouble-free life. That's not the goal. The goal is to try to help you eliminate the unnecessary trouble in your life. And I want you to really latch on to that idea because it's really central. It's really key. As you evaluate your life, don't judge it by the amount of trouble you have. Judge it by the amount of unnecessary trouble you have. In other words, how much of the junk that's in your life right now, how much of it could be eliminated if you just made some smart adjustments, some changes to the way you live? See, that's really the key question. So that's what we're shooting for in this series. Not to help you build a trouble-free life, but to get the unnecessary trouble out of your life. And the place to start, step number one, is to improve your attitude. There is a question, maybe one of the oldest questions in the world. Which came first, the chicken or the egg? And there's a similar question we could ask when we come to this subject. Which came first? The messed up person's problems or his bad attitude? In other words, did the person's problems cause his attitude to go sour? Or did he start out with a bad attitude and the bad attitude caused bad behavior, which led uh, to all these problems? Which came first, the bad attitude or the problems? I don't know that we can always answer that question, but I think we do know this much. A negative, sour attitude is one of the most glaring characteristics of a person who needs to get his act together. I mean, this is true of just about everybody whose lives uh, are messed up. They're almost always whiners and complainers. They feel persecuted. They see the, the glass as half empty, never half full. Uh, they look at other people whose lives are going well, and they feel bitterness and resentment. Uh, almost everybody. I mean, I've never known a person whose life was messed up who didn't need to get a better attitude. That's why the Bible teaches that the fundamental change, that fundamental change in life comes when we start working in here. This is where it begins. Romans 12, 12 says, let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. That's where it begins. And so that's where we're going to start in this series. There are three things that influence our thinking I think probably as much or more than anything else. I want to talk about those three things. And as I talk, I want you to listen and think about yourself and see if you need to make an adjustment or two in one or more of these three areas. Okay. The first thing that really influences our thinking is our focus. Proverbs 23, 7 says, As a man thinks within himself, so he is. I once heard it said this way. You are not what you think you are. 
but what you think you are. And that's true. What you focus on, what you think about, what you dwell on from day to day is going to determine who you become. It's going to determine the direction and the quality of your life. That's why the Apostle Paul said in Philippians 4.8, Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Let me give you a little illustration. Did you know that the vulture and the hummingbird have something in common besides the fact that they're both birds? The other thing they have in common is that they both thrive in the desert. But how they thrive in the desert is very different. In other words, they find their sustenance in different places. Vultures, as you know, live on the smelly, rotten flesh of dead animals. While hummingbirds find their sustenance in the beautiful, fragrant blossoms of desert plants. And so as these two birds fly around in the desert, they're looking for different things. Their focus is entirely different. And guess what? They both find what they're looking for. That vulture, oh yeah, he's always going to find his stinking carcass to rip apart. And that beautiful little hummingbird, he's always going to find his flower. And the same is true of people. Some people are like vultures in that they are drawn to anything negative, anything that stinks, anything that's a problem, anything that's, that's about to die. They're just drawn to it. That's all they can see. While other people are more like hummingbirds. They're naturally more optimistic. They appreciate beauty. And they can find it wherever they go, even in a desert. They can find beauty. I don't think I need to tell you which of these two types of people is the happiest. This morning, you need to ask yourself if you more resemble a vulture or a hummingbird. And if you don't know, if you have a friend who loves you, if you have a friend who loves you enough to tell you the truth about yourself, you can ask your friend. Your friend will know. Because your friend spends time with you. Your friend listens to you talk. Your friend knows if you're a vulture or a hummingbird. Now, if you're a vulture, they love you in spite of that. If you're a hummingbird, they may love you because of that. But if you don't know which you are, the people around you know. I promise you that. And if you discover that you have vulture tendencies, that's something you can work on. You can work to become a more positive person. You can let Philippians 4.8 become a theme verse for your life. You can discipline yourself to look for the good in things and not the bad. This is where you need to begin. What is your focus? The second thing that really influences our thinking is our friends. Simple fact that the people you hang around with are going to uh, affect you for better or worse. 1 Corinthians 15.33, Paul said, Bad company corrupts good morals. It also corrupts good attitudes. I've seen this so many times over the years. In fact, I was trying to think of a story to tell you 
from my experience on this, and I honestly had so many to choose from, I didn't know which one to pick. But I settled on one uh, that I didn't realize was in one of my books. The lady after the service said, I heard that story, it's in one of your books. I didn't remember that, but it's a story about a lady that I used to know long before I ever moved to Florida. Uh, you wouldn't know her. Nice lady, good, good person, not a problem in any way in the church. But I began to notice that her personality was changing. She'd always been a pretty pleasant person, just kind of, you know, fun to be around or whatever. But I noticed that she started developing a very negative attitude toward men. I noticed in social situations, um, if there were men and women together, maybe a church function or something, I noticed that this woman, who was not married, I noticed that she would make these caustic, very critical comments toward the men in the room, including me. And can you imagine something being negative about me? Um, but I knew I hadn't done anything to her. I knew the other men in the room hadn't done anything to her. I couldn't figure out why she was so cutting in her remarks toward the men in the room. So one day, one of her friends, who was also one of my friends, walked up to me and said, Mark, have you noticed she's changed? Have you noticed her attitude is different? I said, yes, I have. I have noticed it. She said, I just found out why, and I thought I ought to tell you. I said, what's going on? She said, a while back, she got a new job, and she's working in an office with five other women. And they go in every day, and they sit, and they work all day together in this office, and they talk. And she said, all five of those women either have recently been through or are currently going through an ugly divorce. And so these five women get in there, and they sit there all day, every day, and they work together, and they just vent. They just spew out all these horrible things about these terrible men and their lives. And this, and this woman is not married, but she's sitting there listening to these conversations all day long. And so she walks out of her office back into her daily life, and she sees a man, and she just wants to spit on him. <laughs> because she's been hearing all this negative talk all day long. And it wasn't until she got out of that job that she began to return to her normal personality. Today, if your life is a mess, you need to think about who your friends are. Who do you talk to? More importantly, who do you listen to? If there's a person in your life who is a chronic complainer, if there's somebody in your life who's very bitter about something that has happened to them, if there's somebody in your life that is overly critical of others, if there's somebody in your life who is a gossip, you probably need to rethink the value of that relationship. Because that person is probably having a very detrimental effect on you, probably more than you realize. Now, I know what you're thinking. Some of you are thinking right now, but Mark, I do have somebody like that in my life. I do have somebody that's really negative. I do have somebody that really drags me down. The problem is, it's my mother. Or my wife. Or my coworker that I sit beside for eight hours a day. And you know what? That can happen. So if that is the case, then probably what you need to do is rewrite the rules for that relationship. You may have to talk 
to that relative or that friend or that co-worker and just say, hey, from now on, I don't want to hear all the negativity. I don't want to hear all the criticism. I don't want to hear all the gossip. We need to make our conversations more positive. And if you were to do that, you would not only be helping yourself, you would be helping that person. Because I'll tell you, if a person is that negative, then their life is probably a mess too. Friends, here's the bottom line. Don't let yourself become a sponge for negative thoughts and ideas. Don't let yourself become that person that negative people know they can run to. You know, when they're upset, when they're angry, when they're complaining, they know they can run to you because you'll listen. Don't be that person. Now you might say, well, I need, I need to be there for my friends. If they want to talk, I need to listen. And I understand that up to a point. But you know, at some point, you absolutely must stop the flow of negativity into your mind. If you don't, it will damage you. Or damage you even more than you already are damaged. Don't become a sponge for negative people and negative talk. Well, that brings me to the third thing that really affects our thinking, and that is our freight. You've heard people say, well, he's got a lot of baggage. Uh, that's what I'm talking about when I use this word freight. What are you dragging around with you as you go through life? Could it be that some of the stuff you carry with you every day, you need to get rid of? You need to let go of? Let me just mention three things that a lot of people are dragging around with them every single day. One is the sting of some bad experience. Maybe you had a dream and you went for it and you invested everything in it and it crashed. Maybe your soulmate walked in one day and said, I don't love you anymore, I want a divorce. Maybe one of your kids went off the rails and did something crazy and made you feel like the worst parent in the history of the world. The sting of a bad experience is something we can carry with us for years. A second thing a lot of people end up dragging along with them is the lingering echo of criticism. Maybe you had a parent who criticized everything you did growing up. Maybe you were once married to someone, or maybe you are currently married to someone who constantly puts you down. Never gives you any positive reinforcement, just always criticizes everything you do. Those criticisms can easily echo in your mind years after you actually heard them. The third thing a lot of people end up dragging along with them is what I call the fog of confusion. I can't tell you how many times over the years someone has said to me, Mark, I don't understand why God didn't answer my prayer. I don't understand why God would let that happen. I don't understand what God is trying to do. Not long ago, I heard a guy say, Mark, I feel like I could release this and let it go if I could just understand it. And so they go through their whole lives just in this confused state, not understanding this or that. And then there are other things too that can become baggage. But the point is, 
when you end up dragging these things with you everywhere you go, uh, it changes you. These things, listen, your baggage starts to become your identity. Because people see you coming and they go, oh, brother, here he comes. We're going to have to listen to his complaints about his job or his marriage or whatever. Your baggage becomes your identity. People get to where they don't really see you. They see your baggage. And here's the thing. You can choose to jettison that freight. You can lay it down and walk away. Listen, you are not a slave. There is nobody walking along behind you with a whip, cracking a whip, forcing you to carry that junk. Friends, this is one of the great themes of the Bible. If we were going to like pick the top ten most important themes of the Bible, this would have to be one of them. That you get to choose what you carry with you through life. You get to choose what is stored in here. You get to choose what you carry or don't carry. Look at these words from Habakkuk 3. Even though the fig trees have no blossoms and there are no grapes on the vines, even though the olive crop fails and the fields lie empty and barren, even though the flocks die in the fields and the cattle barns are empty, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in the God of my salvation. The sovereign Lord is my strength. I dare you to read that and then look me in the eye with a straight face and tell me that you have no choice. You have to carry that baggage. No, you don't. Listen to these words from author and physician Mike Mason. He says, I haven't the slightest doubt that God is bending over backward all day long to give me joy, but I must take it. Jesus stands at the crossroads pointing the way to joy, inviting and encouraging, but I must choose through the making of countless small decisions one day at a time, once I see this, it's not hard to choose. The hard part is admitting I have a choice. You do have a choice. Think about Joseph in the Old Testament. If ever there was a guy who could have had baggage, it's Joseph. Do you remember what happened to him? He was sold into slavery by his brothers when he was just a boy. There are two words in our culture today that turn everybody's stomach. They turn yours, they turn mine, everybody. Those two words are human trafficking. We hear those words and we just recoil. I want to tell you something. Joseph was trafficked before we ever even had a word for it. He was a boy and his own brothers sold him into slavery. You talk about something that could give you some baggage. How about that one? But you read... Joseph's story in the Bible, and he did not carry baggage with him throughout his life. He was a positive person. Just about everything he touched turned into this gigantic success. He eventually became one of the most powerful people in the world. 
Friends, you do not have to haul this baggage around. You do not have to let your childhood or your past failures or your struggles or your disappointments or your betrayals define you. You do not have to let those things become your identity. You do not have to carry that baggage. Always remember 1 Peter 5.8. It says, give all your worries and cares. In other words, your baggage. Give it to God. For He cares about you. To conclude, I want to share a poem with you. I've had this little poem in my files for years. And I decided to pull it out and share it with you today. One ship sails east and another sails west with the very same winds that blow. It's the set of the sails and not the gales that tell them which way to go. Like the winds of the sea are the winds of time as we voyage along through life. It's the set of the soul that determines the goal and not the calm or the strife. The picture there is that you, that I, we're all um, ships on the ocean. And the winds blow. But you don't have to go where the wind blows you. You can determine which way you go by the way you set your sails. Well, your sails are your attitude. See, you are not at the mercy of the wind. You can set your sails however you choose, and you get to determine where you go. The first step in getting your act together is to set your sails properly. Your sails are your attitude. And you do that by adjusting your focus, by reevaluating some of those relationships in your life, and by dumping your baggage.